And our epistle reading this morning is from Paul's second letter to Timothy. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, and you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. The word of the Lord. I teach ninth graders. As the Geico commercial would say, that's what I do. And when you teach freshmen, you have to be open both to flashes of deep insight and genius, as well as comical moments of misunderstanding. Now I see some friends whose grandson I taught this year, and so in the event that you are a grandparent or a parent or even one of my students, understand that it's the deep insights of brilliance that are yours. The comical misunderstandings are somebody else, okay? For example, to someone I had to say, no, my friend, the theme of the prologue of John's gospel is not reincarnation, it is the incarnation. And no, I'm afraid that what makes John's gospel different from the other three is not that he tells us about the life and death of Jesus Christ. I think they all do that. And on my final exam, and I did not teach them this, I promise you, the Gospels of Matthew and Mark were written by Paul. <laughs> I said, you know, the idea was for you to tell me something about Matthew, tell me something about Mark. If you just at least said Matthew wrote Matthew and Mark wrote Mark, that wouldn't have hurt you, but uh, no, Paul, Paul didn't write them. And it is one of those laughable and yet lovable mistakes that inspired my message for today. We were looking at the miracles of Jesus that appear in John's gospel and John's gospel only. And the particular one that I want to share with you today is that of the healing at the pool of Bethesda in Jerusalem from John chapter 5. Listen, please, for the word of the Lord. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his, took up his bed and walked. 
Now that day was the Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. The word of the Lord. So what was that laughable yet lovable mistake that I mentioned that inspired the message today? Certainly there was nothing as tough in this passage as Vigilus, Hermogenes, and Onesiphorus to try to pronounce. I can't imagine what that would have sounded like. Well, in half of the six sections that I teach, we got to hear student readers say that there was a man at the pool who had been an invalid for 38 years. See, you laughed too. There were giggles, of course, from those in my class who knew better. But in an effort to restore the dignity of the poor students who had probably never seen that word on social media lately, and so probably didn't know how to pronounce it, I said, dear reader, you have actually spoken more truth then you know, isn't the real problem here that in fact they were treating the poor man and others as invalids, as people who just didn't count, just didn't matter. This guy had been an invalid for 38 years, we are told, for crying out loud. Why would no one help him? Let me suggest that it is for the same reasons that you and I might overlook the invalids in our midst. And I don't mean just the physically disabled, but anyone who is troubled or distressed and just needs a little help. Not the help that we are so good at giving here at WHPC through great programs that we sign up for and that we plan for, things like Vacation Bible School, and the Interfaith Hospitality Network. No, I'm talking about the help that is needed by folks we encounter every day. Folks who are just having a bad day, or a bad week, or a bad life. Or even folks who look like they have it together, but where a simple and sincere, how are you doing, might invite them to tell you otherwise. Let me give you an example of that. Now I need to be, you need you to be honest here. When you saw the sermon title and read help spread out on your bulletin, who started singing to themselves the old Beatles song? Come on, help, I need somebody help, not just anybody help, you know, I need someone, okay. That's what I did as I was writing the sermon. Um, I'm a child of the 60s. And so that absolutely crossed my mind. 
And being seminary trained now, I decided there's no way I should speak of it in the sermon unless I exegete it first. I have to draw out its original meaning because after all, it might just have to do with getting dumped by an old girlfriend and he's feeling sad. No, not at all. I actually did look it up. And you know what I found? In the documentary series, The Beatles Anthology, John Lennon revealed that he wrote the lyrics of the song to express his stress after the Beatles' quick rise to success. I was fat and depressed, and I was crying out for help, said John Lennon. Writer Ian MacDonald describes the song as the first crack in the protective shell Lennon had built around his emotions during the Beatles' rapid rise to fame. And so I wonder whether anybody ever asked John, how are you doing? Can I help? The point here is that needing help is simply part of being human. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. You remember that from Genesis. As my old theology professor Shirley Guthrie wrote in his book, Christian Doctrine, God's words here in Genesis 2 teach us that to be a human being in the image of God means to help and let, our others, let other, ourselves help others, recognizing our mutual dependence on one another, to help and be helped. We are created that way, to help others and to allow them to help us. Now, if Mark and Stacy ever leave me alone again with you all, there's a whole other sermon here about letting ourselves be helped, right? When it comes to type A, sinfully prideful people like myself, it's this part about allowing yourself to be helped that is difficult. But what we're dealing with today is why we are sometimes inhuman, that is, not doing what we were created to do, not being as we were created to be, not being helped to one another by failing to help those who need it. Reason number one why we might do this comes straight out of our story from John. Now, I don't know, the sharp-eyed ones among you may have noticed that there was no verse 4 in the passage from John chapter 5. That's because there is a verse 4 in some ancient copies of John, but they've been deemed not to be the most original. So if you had it, you would see, and some of you who have grown up with the King James Version probably know, it clarifies that the man was waiting beside the pool for an angel of the Lord to stir up the water because it was believed that the first one in after the stirring would be healed. Well, this would certainly explain why no one would help the poor guy get in and why they would cut him off so that they could get into the water first. How callous, how rude, how relevant. So relevant that today we even have a term for it. FOMO, F-O-M-O. Around our dinner table, our 30-year-old daughter knew what that meant. I knew it because I teach ninth graders. Uh, fear of missing out. That's why people are so glued to social media, 
keeping their eye out for the latest thing. They don't want to miss it. And if you're not first in line, somebody might beat you to it. So the problem that this poor man was experiencing, we've even given it an acronym today. We can still feel the same way as those unhelpful folks at the Pool of Bethesda. We still are tempted to want to be the first in line so that we don't miss, miss out on the latest new thing by letting others get ahead of us. But when we succumb to that temptation, don't we perhaps overlook or even affirmatively ignore the needs and feelings of others? Now, another reason that we may miss out on responding to, or in fact, even recognizing the cry for help, is because sometimes we're just too darn busy. Right? Helping someone out takes time. And our time is valuable. And even if it really doesn't take that much time, it disrupts our well-laid plans. I certainly looked at things this way until a man named C.S. Lewis hit me upside the head with one of his screw tape letters. There, many years ago, I read the following piece of advice from a bureaucrat in hell to a recruiter for the devil. The advice was this. Now, you will have noticed that nothing throws a man into a passion so easily as to find a tract of time he reckoned on having at his own disposal unexpectedly taken from him. It is the unexpected visitor, when he looked forward to a quiet evening, or the friend's talkative wife, turning up when he looked forward to a tete-a-tete with the friend, that throws him out of gear. These things anger him because he regards his time as his own and feels that it is being stolen. You must therefore zealously guard in his mind the curious assumption, my time is my own. Let him have the feeling that he begins each day as the lawful possessor of 24 hours. Well, I for one certainly had that feeling. So it was a tad disturbing, to say the least, when I realized that these were the words of Satan. What Lewis was telling me and us is that we don't own our time. Rather, God has given it to us as God's good stewards so that when that unexpected visitor needs help, we will give it. Or that if we listen carefully enough to that talkative friend's wife, we might just hear a cry for help that we could answer if we quit worrying about our time being taken. The last reason that we can fail to be good helpers, or at least the last one we have time for today, is good old-fashioned fear. Not fear of missing out. We've already talked about that one, but fear of getting our hands dirty. Fear of what others might think. Fear of making fools of ourselves. I believe Dostoevsky's Ivan Karamazov put his finger on it when he confessed to his brother Alyosha in the book, The Brothers Karamazov. I love mankind, he said, but I find to my amazement that the more I love mankind as a whole, the less I love man in particular. 
We do love our neighbors, don't we? But sometimes they are just too close for comfort. And what we might do to help them is just too far out of our comfort zone. At such times, let us remember these two words. Two names, actually. Fidulous and Hermogenes. Okay, go around saying that. There's a Fidulous and Hermogenes. Two guys you may never have heard of until I read that passage today from Paul's second letter to Timothy. Two guys about whom you will learn nothing more, no matter how much exegeting you do, no matter how many Bible encyclopedias or Bible dictionaries or commentaries you go to, you will not find out anything more about them than that they didn't help the imprisoned apostle Paul. Think about it. They will be remembered forever in the best-selling book of all time because they turned away from a man who needed help. And what did he need? A lot of money? No. A lot of their time? No. He needed what they were apparently too afraid to provide because they didn't want to be associated with the controversial Paul or his messy circumstances. He just needed a visit and to know that he was not alone. But thankfully, we also read about a man named Onesiphorus, whose name you should go around saying to yourself, because he was not ashamed to seek out Paul and pay refreshing visits to the suffering apostle, simple visits which brought joy to Paul and in grateful response, Paul blesses Onesiphorus and his entire household. And Onesiphorus has an enduring place in the best-selling book of all time. And he too is a man about whom we know nothing except that he helped Paul during what turned out to be his last days on earth. Onesiphorus didn't know how much he meant to Paul or that we'd be talking about him here in this church 2,000 years later simply because he had the courage to visit an inmate. And my brother in prison ministry, Louis Melendez, didn't know that we'd be talking about him here today until I asked his permission a few days ago. Brother Lewis is an ex-con who miraculously, after serving his prison sentence, landed a job with the U.S. Postal Service and faithfully delivered the mail for 25 years. His Christian faith and humble, the humble dignity which he exudes made such an impression on someone, and I don't know who, that he was asked to become one of the doorkeepers at the Senate in our state capitol after his retirement from the post office. But whether ministering to someone in prison or humbly serving our elected officials in our state's capital, Brother Lewis always pays attention to the folks around him, ignoring someone in his midst who is hurting, like those poor folks in Jerusalem did to the invalid at the pool of Bethesda, is just not the way Brother Lewis rolls. The other night he told us he had a confession to make, though. He says, friends, today I was kissed outside the Senate by a woman who was not my wife. 
then for all to hear, she called me her angel. She said, Brother Lewis, you are my angel. And in case there were people there who couldn't hear it, or people like us who weren't there and didn't hear it, she's put the whole story up on her Facebook page. And there's Senator Lois Colcourt with my friend Louis Melendez. Of course, when we heard the story, we said, well, who was she? And she told us, Senator Colcourt, he told us, and what in the world did you do, Lewis, to get your picture on her website, Facebook, and to get you to call her in public her angel? His answer was simple. He said, well, she's a state senator who I had let in and out of the doors. Um, and it just looked like she was having a bad day. So when she passed by, I asked if she was okay because she looked stressed out. Turned out she was having a bad day and she was very stressed out. This was one of the last couple days of the session. I was stressed out just reading about them. <clears throat> so he approached her. He said, I told her, Senator, it's going to be okay. And I gave her a passage from scripture. Anybody want to guess what the passage from Scripture was? Isaiah 41, 13, which Sam read to us first today. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. She said, I went to my seat. I looked it up. I read it and decided Brother Lewis was indeed an angel for me that day. Brother Lewis, who tears up with joy whenever he thinks about what God has done for him, had the courage to do what Jesus did by the pool of Bethesda that day, simply to ask a simple question of a stranger, and she really is to him, to see if he could help. And in Lewis's case, it didn't take a miracle to help, just a good word from God's word. And it is in God's word today that we see Jesus working on the Sabbath, just as his father is always working, working to help someone when no one else would. And it is in God's word today that Paul reminds us that sometimes God's help can come from God's very own people, from us, from human beings made in the image of a God who says, fear not, I am the one who helps you. 